We love, Lord, because You first loved us. There is no possible way that any of us would love or care about another person if it wasn't for the amazing love that You showed to each of us. We thank You, Lord, You came from heaven to earth to save our life. We thank You, Lord, that You've given us newness of life. We ask You, Lord, tonight just to seal uh, the last five weeks in our heart. We ask You, Lord, to give us uh, put the finishing touches on this, whatever they might be, as we go over some miscellaneous things tonight, that we might live our lives for You, that we might live according to Your principles, that we might live a balanced, wholesome, godly life. For the sake of Christ, in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, Tom, could you unplug these for me or turn them off? Thanks, they buzz really bad. Okay. I have miscellaneous thoughts tonight. Like, each one of these could be a message in and of themselves, but I don't have the time to do a message on each of them. So, these... What? I think he's going to get it. He went somewhere. Probably back there to the power box. Huh? No, he didn't. He heard me, I think. I'll find out in a minute anyway. Anyway. Um, you really need the last five messages in order for some of these things to make sense, okay? So if you weren't able to be here to all of them, that's okay. Everything we do here is taped. And so you can get the tapes, you can either rent them, uh, or you can purchase them. And the tape library is usually set up Friday and a Sunday morning during the first service. So, i got a bunch of little dots here tonight. First thing that I want to share with you tonight is this. Keep applying the basics. Often it's not something new we need, but the reminder to refocus and do what we already know. I called a number of different folks today uh, that I knew were in here. I mean, there's probably more that I could, and I tried to get a hold of people that, some of you sitting here, but I couldn't get through to you. Just to ask them, was there something you think was left unsaid, or was there something that struck you, or something you think I should reiterate tonight? And one of the... um, Mothers that I called said, Mark, you know, often I come to the messages and I expect to find have something new and revolutionary hit me. And she said, often what happens is I'm reminded of the same basic truth and I realize I've not been applying it to the degree in my life that God wants and it was sort of, and this is her words, not mine, was the kick in the butt that I needed to go back and do what I know is the right thing to do. In the 20 years that I've been following Christ, there have, never, there have not been really any new, revolutionary, radical things that I know today that I didn't know 10 years ago. Rather, the reaffirmation of something, or maybe someone said it in a particular moment, maybe I was more teachable at that moment in my heart than I had been before, and it hit me more deeply. But we must as Christians master the basics. Master the basics. Master the basics. And you build on the basics. But you've got to have the basics. That's why I went over what are the guiding principles and values by which we live our lives. Those give light to us wherever we go. 
As David said in Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word shows us where to go. Now the reason I went over it, instead of giving you Someone uh, asked me today, well, you know, Mark, I think I was kind of expecting this seminar to be like a Stephen Covey seminar. So, what I did was I said, hmm, I'm going to make sure what I wrote down here in this flyer. So I went over the flyer, and uh, as I looked at the things that I put down here we would discuss, I thought, well, I think we've gone over these types of things. And if you want a Stephen Covey seminar, I'm really not the guy to talk to. I'd be the first one to admit that. Basically, what I believe is this. If you program your heart and your mind with the truth, with God's value system, then those things will come to bear on the daily decisions that you make on how to live your life. So what I'm trying to teach you to do, rather than, than give you some fish, I'm trying to teach you how to fish. Rather than come into your you know, third world country of your soul and give you some grain, I'm trying to teach you how to farm the grain so that in the future you will be self-sustaining as you go out and live in the world and live in your home, live in your apartment, live in your neighborhood. That's what I'm seeking to do. And then, and then I, I did not want to give you lots of specifics because I didn't want you thinking, you know, well, I need to compare myself to Mark because many of the decisions that we make regarding the Word of God are highly personal. I don't mean we can't share them with anyone. I just mean that each of us are at different places of our life. And that's why I shared with you last week that one of the main considerations in your life, <clears throat> there was four things. The last one was that you recognize your season of life, your lot in life. For example, I mentioned uh, one time in passing that I try to go on a couple dates a week with my wife. And some people say, well, my, my gosh, Mark, is that all you have to do is date your wife? Remember, remember my season of life. My season of life is that one we teach our children at home. I have two teenagers. I have instant babysitters that cost me nothing at any time that I need them, and they're fully willing to help. So my lot in life is different. But I went for years without any types of dates. One, because I couldn't afford a babysitter, and two, because I was working too many hours to even have a free night to do it. We, we, we're in different seasons of life. So what we do is we, we, we try to adjust. And what I try to do during any of my seasons of life is apply the same principles that I know should be applied within the parameters of the time that I have in any given situation. All right. So this is why 1, 2, 3, and 4, the first four tapes, I went over and over and over and over the basics. What are God's priorities? How do we live them out? What does He want us focused on in our life? What are things that please the Lord? See, I want to reorientate your whole life. I, I want to be honest with you. I don't want to give you some self-help seminar. I don't want you out here and make, to be frank with you, I don't want you to go out and make minuscule changes in your life. God wants us to radically change our lives. Now, the radical may come one step at a time. But that's what God's seeking to do in each of our lives. 
So, some of us may be at a point, you see, where the next change, if we look down the road and you, and you look at some of the things I shared the first four weeks, your next change may be a really radical change. Or for Mark, where I'm at, my goodness, I'd have to be frank and say most of the radical changes are behind me. Like the reorientation of my whole world. Like the reorientation of all my dreams. I mean, I see, I decided a long time ago to let go of my dreams. But what I shared with you the first couple of weeks, you still may be in the dream phase. You still may be the Christian convert, but not yet the fully devoted disciple. You still may have a great cost to count. I counted the cost. My hands are the plow, and I haven't looked back for 20 years. Or 18, or 19, however many. But see, some of you may be still in that phase. And then you get past that phase, and then, to be honest with you, it's just going back to the same discipleship message over and over again, lest you veer off the highway that God wants you to be on. Okay. So, keep applying the basics. Number two, think. Please think. I, I am, I had someone recently tell us, you know, Mark, one of the things I like you pastors to do is to teach us how to study the Bible on our own. And, um, and I appreciated that. Um, and I have to say that, to be honest, from my paradigm, I thought that's what we were trying to do. I would want you, each of the pastors would want you to think for yourself, guided by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. So I, I am basically making a huge assumption that you are taking the things that I have shared, you are going home in the privacy of time and aloneness, you are seeking God and saying, God, speak to me. How can I apply these things to my life? But as I was talking to a friend today, I realized that maybe our society has come to a point where we don't want to work for anything. We want easy answers. So what we'd like the pastor to do is just, Mark, get into nitty-gritties, get into details. And I'm purposely, some of them I'm not. The monkey's on your back. You have a walk with God. This is God's Word. You're to take God's Word and go say, God, wrestle with it. What do you want me to do? What are you speaking to me? See? That's the beauty of Christianity. Christianity is not like we're all a bunch of lemmings and we're just walking over a cliff after each other. We are a collective body of believers, yet we have an independent mind. We each have the Holy Spirit. We have God's Word. And so my advice to you is think, then act. Take the time to seek God on how you can apply these things to your life. It takes God's wisdom to know how to apply them in your unique situation. We can't just copy someone else. Now, there are some things that are very imitatable. A person's faith, a person's the way they their prayer life, not the way they pray, but the fact that they pray. They memorize the Word. The Word seems to be on their heart. They seem to be a joyful person. They see their faith in action. Well, I want to have that kind of life. But what I'm saying here is, 
let me give you a very practical, specific example. Many, many years ago, God laid it on my wife and my heart to teach our children at home. That's a very personal decision that we made before God for very specific reasons, which if you call and you want to know, I'll share them with you. I'm not going to get into them tonight. That's a very personal decision. But we made it based on things we felt God showed to us. Well, I don't expect everybody here to go do the same thing. But I would expect you to see God and say, God, show us what are the best ways we could train our children and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and, and then you see, it's only then will you be able to stand tall for your convictions. Like today, for example, my wife and I were working out. The guy next to my wife on the stepper, older gentleman, starts talking to her. Next thing you know, he's knocking her because she's homeschooling her kids. He thinks she's really dumb. And then after she leaves, he doesn't realize I'm behind her and behind him and that I'm her husband. And he starts bad-mouthing her to the guy next to him. But unbeknownst to him, the guy next to him is a Christian because I've seen him with his Christian t-shirt. And he starts answering back. And it was pretty cool. You know, so I'm sitting there riding my bike, you know. But I, I truly, honestly, I don't expect everyone else to do that. And I don't expect that it's the only way to be godly. I really don't. There are other godly ways to lead your family as well. But, but what I want you to do, what God wants you to do, is get before God and let Him be your leader. Let Him lead you. Certainly, there are practical principles that God's going to have your pastors lead you on and the Bible says in fact in Hebrews obey your leaders for they keep watch over your soul as men who will give an account and obey them so that their work would be a joy and not a burden but at the same time you're not you're not we're not some kind of this group, this cultish group where everybody dresses the same everybody looks the same everybody has the same matching bow tie everybody marches to the same drum or we all do the same things or we all read the identical NIV Bible I mean if you have a living or a message, great just read it read it, that's something we all need to be doing, just pray we may not all pray with the same adjectives or in the same way, but we're to pray. See? Alright? So learn to think. So important that you think. Alright? Think. Don't just look for easy answers. Just think, oh, I'll just pick up the phone and call somebody. You get with God first. Get with God. Find out what He wants for your life. Seek out the Scriptures. The Bible says in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You seek Christ and you'll be finding the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'll tell you a practical example for me. When I first became a Christian, started following the Lord, I didn't have any auto insurance. I, I didn't think it was trusting God. I based it on Jeremiah where it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in the arm of flesh, who makes man his trust. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. It's, you know, I, I don't like the insurance industry. You know, it's, most people won't need it and cost us an arm and a leg. 
And then I get in an accident. My wife, she wasn't my wife, my fiance is with me. Total our car, she ends up in the hospital for a week, and I got no insurance. So God sort of re-ingested my convictions a little bit. <laughs> you know, after that, um, fortunately, it, we didn't go broke, and, and, and it was an old car that I paid $300 for, and... Uh, and I really went back and just began to seek God. And I sought godly counsel. Nothing wrong with seeking, by the way, advice. And I'm going to get to that a little later. And I kept praying about it. I didn't immediately change. But I really wanted to go, God, I'm just a young Christian. i got an open mind to what you want to say. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. I'll live any way you want me to live. So as time went on, I began to see that, you know, for the sake of others, for the sake of reputation, for the sake of someone, you know, hit me and didn't have insurance, so they were hurt, you know, and they sue me, I didn't have any money, it'd probably be the responsible thing to have some sort of insurance. So I got it. Then then the next thing for me, another big one was was retirement. Oh my gosh, you know, that was a big deal. I prayed for years about that. I didn't care what everybody else did. I wanted to know, God, what do you want me to do? And I wrestled with, do not lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. And how does that jive, Lord, with Proverbs where it says the wise man sees danger ahead and prepares to meet it, or he, he saves, well, the living Proverbs says that the wicked man consumes everything he makes, but the wise man sets aside little by little. The Bible says in Proverbs, the wise man's wealth grows little by little. You know, my mother used to try to ingrain to me, Mark, just if it's just ten dollars, it's just ten dollars. Get in the habit of saving. Oh, saving isn't trusting God, Mom. But, you know, I had a lot to learn, I st- and I'm still learning. So I, about I don't know what is five years ago, I I started putting some aside, you know, because I realized, well, I've got responsibilities. And as I began to look in the Scripture, and as I began to listen to other godly men showing us, I realized, hey, you know, I, I think I need to see the light here on this. So I prayed about it. I didn't just do it because somebody said, go do it. I mean, I got advice, then I went and prayed about it, listened to the, what are their reasonings? What do they see in the Scripture that I don't see? And then I went to God. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Oh, those are just a couple examples. There may be many, many others. Oh, I know another one. Hey, I'm giving, giving you my life story here. Birth control. Holy smoke. That was a huge one. Huge one for us. I mean, I first we were going to have as many kids as we could put out. And we're, and we're like a baby-making factory. I want you to know, man. It's just like baby, 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 you know. And, and I had this paradigm that, you know, uh, that's the godly thing to do and have as many kids as you can possibly have and that's what's righteous and yeah, I really believe that. So we started out that way and my wife's health began to deteriorate and, um, and with our last child, she had to take shots of heparin because of clotting, the possibility of clotting in her leg and then the tremendous strain it put on her back because she had a bad back because we were in this bad accident and that's been permanent. And and so there was that. And then I began to realize that, you know, with the kind of ministry we're doing, if we if we keep in our situation, if we keep having babies and more babies, like I could easily be on my ninth by now. Or eighth. 
I would not, in my situation, I would not be able to be have the involvement that I do now. So I felt before God uh, that we'd stop. My wife prayed about it, and she came to the same conclusion. So we stopped. I won't tell you how. You can ask. You can ask her. We actually sleep in separate rooms. We have become celibate for the sake of God. Ah, yeah, and I've mellowed too a lot, all because of that. Okay. All right, number three. Number three, all right. So I'm just trying to give you examples. I mean, I don't know what you... I'm just trying to tell you, I have to seek the Lord too. You know, we have to seek the Lord and find out what is God's will. By the way, some of you feel in your heart before God, you may even feel I'm wrong. And that's fine. I hope you don't think I'm in sin. That would be a big bad thing. And if you do, come and rebuke me and we'll talk about it. But if some of you have the conviction before God that, well, Mark, you should have as many kids, well, at least I'm going to have them, then... Live out your conviction. Live out what you believe God has shown you from His Word. Just be careful. There's a tape done many years ago. We did, we did when we first got started called Accepting Differences, the True Test of Our Christian Love. And I would encourage you to get it. It would be good to recycle that because I've not done a message like that in about six years. It would really be good to get it. It would help you understand maybe what some of our positions aren't. And why and what the scripture background we have uh, for some of those reasons. Accepting difference is the true test of our Christian love. Feel free, also I wanted you to know this, feel free to call for advice, any of the pastors, about specific questions. You may have specific questions related to priorities. How should I work this? How should I do that? And I want you to know that's part of our job. That's why we're here. The Bible says in Proverbs, in an abundance of counsel, there's safety. But the fool plunges head and suffers harm. There's another proverb in the Berkeley Bible that says, every plan is confirmed by counsel. Do not wage war until others agree. So many of the decisions I've made in my life, I've either looked for examples in others, the scripture always is the basis first, or I'll go ask. I'll go get advice. All right. Here's a simple little tidbit here. No biggie, but I thought it would help you. Get a family calendar and put it on the wall. Okay, this is very one of these very practical little things here. Showing the whole month. You can get them at Office Max. They're not very much. And they're about they're about this big and this big. Now I'll tell you a little special way to hang it on your wall. Because I, I I I'm good at these little inventions. What you do is you go get Velcro. The the kind that's got the tacky on the back, tacky in the back, and you put Velcro on the four corners and Velcro on your wall, and it'll peel off real easy, but not so easy that you can't unvelcro the calendar. And then it'll hang all four corners and you can write there, see? And then what you do is you get a magic marker for each person, different color for each person in the family. And then at the beginning of each month, one of my kids erases the whole thing. They go down, they give, I give them my calendar, my planning book. They put down what dad's doing for the month, what mom's doing, what the kids are doing. And if anybody wants to find out what's going on, you go look at the calendar. But it also helps us not overcommit 
over schedule. It's a practical tool. It will help save you a lot of trouble. Roommates, you might want to try it as well, at least to let each other know where you're at, where you could be gotten a hold of, or to see if there's conflicts on your roommate nights, okay? Practical, simple thing. It'll save you a lot of problems. Number four, or five. Enjoy your life. You know, I hope none of you got the impression I'm sharing all these things like, oh man, is there any time to enjoy? Well, sure there is. I enjoy every day, generally speaking. In 1 Timothy, let me show you this. 1 Timothy, take your Bibles if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This, this, this verse is couched in an interesting passage. I'm not going to comment on the whole thing. But you can read it over and study it yourself sometime. Verse 17. 1 Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Now, you could, we could stand here tonight and talk about the contrast between money and God. It's not really money that provides us joy. It's God. And He richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. If you've got a cabin, thank God you have a cabin. And enjoy your cabin. If you have a cabin and it's putting an undue burden on your family, undue burden on your finances, and it's become very difficult for you to live out the priorities that I laid out for you the last five weeks, then get rid of your cabin. Or rearrange your life. <clears throat> or maybe find a couple other people that maybe you could share the cabin with, share the financial burden, and it could be used for a multitude of families. Find solutions. But please don't anyone walk out of here and think, you know, this Mark, my gosh, he's against everything. You can't enjoy nothing. That's not true. That's not true. I've enjoyed plenty of people's cabins. And I... <laughs> and I thank God for every one of them. And I want you to know it's off to cut my own throat when I'm telling you maybe you ought to sell it. Because then that's one less cabin someone can offer me to use. See, so I really have no selfish motive here. I'm just telling you, make sure that if you got a boat, or you know, you're going to go on vacation, nothing wrong with vacation. Nothing wrong, you should sit back and think, well, if I really want to be devoted to God, I guess I should go do volunteer work the whole time. I can't take a vacation. Nothing wrong with sitting and watching something, watching a video, going to a movie, going out to eat with a friend. Enjoying time with those you love? <clears throat> okay? We're talking balance here. If all you ever do is live for pleasure, then pleasure owns you. And I promise you, you're not having a very good time. You're looking for a good time. Do you know nothing about really being content? There's nothing wrong with enjoying time with your spouse. Man, I enjoy every minute I give with my wife. Well, I try. We, we, we enjoy most of our minutes, don't we, Kathy? Well, most of them. And those we don't are always rich, growing experiences. <laughs> and they, they just make us enjoy the others more. 
Um, I mean, I go over this verse. God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. You shouldn't be sitting down at a meal, you know, and thinking, I can't really enjoy this. I shouldn't know. There's people starving all over the world. God gave you that meal tonight. He gave it to you. Maybe you fixed it. He gave it to you. He gave you the hands to fix it, the strength to fix it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Thank you very much. (laughs) Just make sure, unless this needs to be, I think this needs to be said, that food food doesn't own you. You know what the living proverb says? It says the wicked man lives to eat. The righteous man eats to live. Well, there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference. See, God doesn't want things to own us. He wants us to be free... And then when we're free, we can enjoy each thing that God has made, that God has allowed in our life. He wants balance in our lives. The only thing I believe God wants truly unbalanced in our life is our passion for God. I don't, I don't, I don't have any balance in that. It is absolutely full bore. I keep it as hot as I can all the time. It's, it's not, for me, it's not like a temperature in my house where it's, oh, the day at 70, it's a little uncomfortable, open the windows. For me, it's like I try to get the, the, the fire as hot as it can be. And if it starts to die, I throw more logs on it. More logs. More logs. I view my Christian life like the place that I go to pray. Uh, it's a place where there's this, this big shelter and this fireplace and they stock it with wood. And I go there when sometimes 30 below. And it's freezing, and my fingers are just shaking. I can't wait to get it, you know, get the paper burning and get this thing on. And I just add log after log. I Sometimes there's 30 logs. And I've got this baby stoked, man. And I mean, so warm, and I can take my coat off, and I'm walking around praying. And because I think about that, the world is always trying to chill you down. It's trying to turn you into an ice cube for God. So I, I think I think in our relationship with God, I never worry about balance. It's like full bore, all out. If I burn out, if I die young, that's the way it is. God, you get everything. I'm all out. And I also, frankly, think that way in my relationship with my wife. Okay, I try to keep the passion, and I don't mean lustful passion or necessarily sexual passion. I just mean I, I work to keep my passion, my love, very alive for her and my children and for the body of Christ. I don't worry about balancing that either. I do certainly try to make sure each individual gets the time that they need. I work for balance in that. Okay? Okay. <clears throat> time. Another point. This is a, I, I didn't number these. But I think this is number seven. Time is like money. You better not spend more than you have. Now... Now, many of us, that doesn't uh, jive because we spend far more money than we have. That's not a good thing. We have seminars on that to help you. I'm not doing one tonight, but we could sometime, and there's a Money Matters group, small group, for people who want help with their finances. What ideas, all right? But this is very important. What I'm trying to say is don't overcommit yourself. Don't overcommit. It, it, it's foolish to have a heart, as, a heart as big as the world when you have a calendar that only has so many days in it. Have a big heart, but make sure you guide your heart with your mind and with the Holy Spirit and with His Word. So don't be overcommitting so that you overcommitted. I, I used to have a friend. 
many, many years ago when I was single and I lived with him. He once took me aside. He rebuked me. And it was, and it was an appropriate rebuke. He said, Mark, I kind of like what my dad used to tell me. You're a devil at home and an angel everywhere else. Said, oh, man, okay, this is a heavy one. What, what do you mean? He says, if someone called on the phone right now and had a flat tire, your brother Johnny on the spot, you're trying, you know, maybe, and he was probably right, you're trying to make a good impression on everybody that you love God and you love everybody. But if one of your roommates needs to talk, you don't have time. That hit me. It pierced Mark. He was right. I always had time for out here, out here. Yep, oh sure, oh yep. But when there was needs right here, oh no, I'm too busy for that. What am I too busy with? Everybody else. So make sure that you don't overcommit to things. And use the guidelines that I gave you last week for things to decide even what things you should do in your service for Christ. Those are just a few ideas. There's many more, but that's a few. Okay, remember the devil will attack you and seek to discourage you and shame you and make you feel guilty. We don't serve Christ out of guilt. We serve Him because we love Him. I do not serve the Lord because I feel I have to. He's holding something over my head. He's got something on me that no one knows. The devil will do all that he can to make you feel that you're operating from guilt or to make you feel guilt or to shame you. Now, two things you don't want to do. One, an inappropriate response would be to go, fine, I'll show him. I'm not doing nothing. That'll show him. Don't let him trick you. Don't let him play that game with you. And secondly, don't say, don't give in to him and say, okay, I'm going to become super busy to prove it's wrong. Just reorientate your heart. Say, Lord, I, I, I love you. I, I serve my wife, my family, because I love them. I'm not stuck with Kathy. I don't think of myself as stuck with her. I'm guilty. She had nowhere else to go. What else could she do? She can't go back home. You know, so, yeah, God, yes, she. What a terrible thing. I love her. Now, there's times that I struggle in my flesh with that love. And then I do what's right anyway, whether I feel like it or not. So don't, don't underestimate your enemy. He's the devil. He's wretched. And he'll try to discourage you. Remember you serve Christ because we love him. And remember what I shared the first week. His commands aren't burdensome. God is not trying to put on you a yoke that we either, neither we nor our forefathers could bear. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that is exactly what he meant. The world's yoke is hard, and the world's yoke will crush you, but never the Lord's. Never the Lord's. And if you're feeling that way, chances are you really need to change your paradigm, your faith is in the wrong place, and the devil's got you tricked. If you need some help, give me a call. Okay, um, next one. Remember that it takes faith to apply these things to our lives. We can only reprioritize our lives and live out His principles as we believe His promises. God will come through for you. This is a big area. I wish I could spend a lot of time on it tonight. And maybe in the future I'll do a seminar just on this. But the bottom line for a lot of the decisions you're going to have to make is that it takes faith based on what God says no matter what society tells you. 
And it's going to take courage to step out and go, Lord, I really believe you want us to do this. It's, it's take, for example, for me, in my situation, it takes courage to step out in faith with my wife, she's in this with me, and teach our children in a way that I wasn't taught. And to believe God that it's going to work. I mean, there are some lives hanging in the balance here. This is a really big deal. A really big deal for us. Or for me, when I knew that it was clear to me from the Word of God, and as I counsel others that God, rather than going the normal course to ministry, is Bible school and seminary. That will usually guarantee you some job when you get out. God led me in a different path. A path that for me took a lot of faith. My whole life was hanging in the balance because I burned all my bridges. I had nothing to fall back on whatsoever. That's how God led me. And then God led my wife to join with me in that journey. And we were out there on that limb of faith. See? So as you read over these things, as you go over these last five weeks, you're also going to have to wrestle with faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. What do you think it was like for Noah to put his whole life on hold while he built a boat? Well, many scholars believe that Noah had never seen rain because they believe the world was watered at that time not from rain but from heavy dew. And so many don't even know if Noah knew what rain was when God says, I'm going to flood the earth. What's a flood? But this we know. Noah was not a boat builder. Noah never went to boat building school. (laughs) Noah didn't know what gopher wood was, but God says, make it out of gopher wood. So God showed him, told him the plans, and he went and made it. Noah never studied zoology. Zoology the study of animals? Is it? wanted to make sure I... I you never went to horticulture school. It's like me to say something like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you can imagine, this was a whole family deal here, right? I mean, what did Mrs. Noah do? Noah, you idiot! Get in here! <laughs> no, and we're going to go on our, on our vacation. You're building a stupid ark. I know, dear, but God says we're all going to die if we don't build the ark. And the Bible reveals in the New Testament that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and everyone laughed at Noah. And everyone laughed. Until it was time to go in the ark and it started to rain. And it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. And you know one of the reasons why you have all this geological stratus junk that's all here and some here and here, all these... One of the big reasons is because of the flood. They recently found Noah's Ark. There's documentaries on it. You can absolutely rely on the Bible and its historical truth. Took a lot of faith. Well, we see we're Noah's and Noah's today. And God God has laid out a plan for us to live our life in the world and why we're to live our life. And it takes faith to step out and do it. Another practical example. Some of us are really new to the Christian life. We're couples and we... Last thing we want to do is read about biblical roles 
ABC Channel 4 tonight on CBS News, Dan Rather, Promise Keepers was on there tonight. Anybody see that? Everybody see that? And all the uh, women's groups are out there chanting and downing. You know, of course, they made sure they were in the spotlight. And they're, they're oppressive to women. Why, they say that men should, should leave their homes and that wives should submit, and that's awful. Well, it depends on where you're coming from. But you better go home and read your Bible. And then you better decide, men and women, are we going to do what the Bible says, or are we going to play games? See? I realize to be the first one to admit that if you've been raised with one paradigm, that when you start to read the Bible, it's going to shake you up a little bit. And you're going to have to come to a point, as many, many couples as I've watched grow in this church, come to a point where they go, hmm, well, I love the Lord. He died for me, changed my life. I want to obey Him. And takes faith to step out and do what God asks. All right? Those are just some examples. Okay. Um, read The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. For any of you who want practical tips, all right, you're not going to get those kind from me. Because I'm really, I just, I really don't know how to lay some of them out. Ken Blanchard is a believer, um, and he wrote this book called The One Minute Manager. And it would give you some ideas. Okay, two last things. The last one's a really big one. And I hope I can get through it. Darn. Parents. This is the second to the last one. Parents. Remember this. Okay, this is very, very important. Our children were given to us by God. They are a stewardship from Him to be raised for Him. To raise them with secular values, with a worldly point of view, would be betrayal and high treason and a complete disregard of our stewardship to God. Your kids are not yours. They were given to you by the Creator. Psalm 127. Children are a gift from the Lord. And we have an obligation to God to raise them for God. Programmed with God's principles and truths. Of course, we must teach our children to be in the world, but never of the world. We certainly must prepare our children to face and handle life and its challenges but it doesn't mean we raise them according to the world's standards. Do you understand that? I want to be really clear on that. I don't want any misunderstanding about that. I realize, more than maybe you realize I realize, <laughs> that my children are going to grow up, they got to compete in this crummy world. Well, you better believe I realize that. I'm not raising my children to be Amish. I'm not raising my children to hide away somewhere. I'm raising them by the grace of God to be mighty for God in word and deed and action. And I realize that um, we just recently had a situation happen that was very difficult for the family. I'll get to it a little bit later because it goes with the next section I'm going to share with you. <clears throat> Life is not fair. The world does not play by God's rules. The world is unjust, harsh, malicious, bigoted and that ain't going to change 
So they better be prepared to handle it. The best thing you can do to help them prepare to handle it is teach them the power of God and how it works in real life. You know, I got a statistic today. I read it in the paper. It was a report that was done. And I made a statement about two years ago. I was doing a series. Maybe it was a year ago, Finding God in the Dark. I don't remember. It might have been that one. And I got got really crucified by a few people on this. Because at the time, I didn't have the statistic. But I said this. I said, I believe that if you did a study, you would find that most people who drink alcohol, get drunk, and do drugs, do so for two reasons. One, because they like the way it makes them feel. And two, because it makes them forget their problems. And I said, that's why we have so much drug addiction and alcoholism. One, because there's so many problems and sorrow in the world. And two, until we admit cocaine really makes you feel good. I mean, why don't we quit lying to ourselves? That's why many people use it. Well, guess what? Today in the paper, today in the paper, the St. Paul Pioneer Press, I think it was, on the front page down at the bottom, it says, psychologists know what parents haven't known. And they showed this big study that was done. And they did this huge survey with teenagers. And teenagers said, hands down, the primary reason I get drunk is because I feel really good. And others said, the primary reason I use drugs is because I feel really good. And others said, one of the main reasons they keep using it is, one, because they feel good, and two, because it helps forget their problems. You know what, brother and sister? We got the remedy. We got the best drug in the world. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's called God. It's called prayer. It's called the love of God in our lives. And I never felt better in my life than when I came to know the Lord. And I don't live on my feelings. But I'm telling you right now, we have the remedy that will protect our children in the future. Okay, the last thing. Of course, my time is short. Um, Many of you have heard me speak on this. But I want to talk to you about God's incredible grace. Flip, write down Philippians 4, 11 through 13, 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 12, 10, Hebrews 4, 14. Basically, Philippians 4, 11, I want to read this to you. You can turn to it if you'd like with me. You might ask, why am I sharing this with you? I'm sharing this with you because... for this reason. Grace gives us the ability to carry a bigger load. You will often find yourself in circumstances to your disliking. Grace is the answer. I tell you that from experience. It's not so much often that we try to find balance. We need balance. What we really need is more grace. I'm going to read you some sections here about Paul. And, you know, you can really get the impression, man, this guy's life was so out of balance. In Philippians chapter 4, he says this, in verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances. If you could just grow in that, that would revolutionize your life. Just that alone. I know what it is to be in need... And I know what it is to have a lot. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I'm well fed or I'm hungry. Whether I'm living in plenty or in want. The secret, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I'll tell you that often the reason you're feeling burnt out, many of us, is not because of our schedule. It's because we have failed to tap the extraordinary resource of God's grace and we're totally drained. Don't you think that it's time, brother and sister, that if we claim to know God and have the Holy Spirit, that we start experiencing supernatural living? Um, turn to 2 Corinthians. Well, yeah, 2 Corinthians 6. I want to read you something. But I'm going to read this in the um, Philip's Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to have to go just a few minutes over if you bear with me to get this in. I really wanted to, to get to this. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 4. Paul's writing, Indeed, I want to prove ourselves genuine ministers of God, whatever we have to go through. Patient endurance of troubles, hardship, desperate situations, being flogged or imprisoned, being mobbed, overworked, sleepless, and starving. With sincerity, with insight and patience, by sheer kindness of the Holy Spirit, with genuine love, speaking the plain truth, and living by the power of God. Our sole defense, our only weapon, is a life of integrity. Whether we meet honor or dishonor, praise or blame. Called impostors, we must be true. Called nobodies, we must be in the public eye. Never far from death, yet here we are alive, always going through it, yet never going under. We know sorrow, yet our joy is inextinguishable. We have nothing to bless ourselves with, yet we bless many others with true riches. We are penniless, and yet we possess everything. Is that the kind of life you want? <laughs> Mobbed, overworked, sleepless nights, regarded as an imposter, people accusing you, people telling you you have insincere motives, you don't really love this church, brother, you're not really sharing with the power of the Holy Spirit, you're exalting yourself. Knowing sorrow, always going through it, yet never going under. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Doesn't it feels like that? What was Paul's secret? Have you ever wondered? This man wrote the most wonderful, joyful letters. And do you think Paul planned in his schedule to spend time in jail? You ever ask yourself what kind of an ambitious, hard worker Paul was? In fact, he says, though I'm the least of all the apostles, yet I've worked harder than all of them. Paul never stayed very long in one place. He was traveling, traveling, traveling all the time, laying his life down for people all the time. The last thing a guy like that wants to do is be thrown in jail. Doesn't quite fit into his schedule. Doesn't quite fit into his plans. There's a lot of baby churches out there need his attention, need his love, and now he's stuck in jail. There aren't little emails, computers that he can have access to, telephones he can have access to. <clears throat> Paul knew something that every Christian must know and must learn. And that's this. You can handle a lot more burden in your life than you ever dreamed. 
See, let me share with you a little secret. When Jesus said his burden is light, his yoke is easy, he didn't mean that he's not going to load you down. He means he was going to make you a more powerful power lifter than you ever dreamed you could be. It doesn't mean that we're Christians, we don't bear extraordinary responsibilities. Oh no. In fact, if I were to step outside the power of God, I'd just crush under the load. Just this afternoon, I had a couple hours at home where no one was there. It was quiet. It was just totally quiet. Except for the little bunny rabbit we have downstairs. He was going, drink, 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 drink. And I'm sitting there and I'm writing some things down. And of course, the phone starts to ring. First person calls me. And they need an encouragement. They just go through a massive trial. Next person calls me. He says, Mark, will you pray for me? My car was just stolen yesterday. I don't have insurance to cover it. The buses aren't working. I don't know what to do. Will you pray for me? Wow, I'll pray for you. Got a call, a call a few minutes later, and Margie, our church secretary, had her wallet stolen for the second time in less than a few months. And now her ID is gone, her cards were gone, and she got a call while she was there from some investigative service that some woman was somewhere just trying to use your card. So she had to cancel all of her cards. Now she's got to carry her passport with her. There's trials, all kinds of trials going on. And I get calls all the time. People, would you pray for me? talk to me, solve this problem for me, help me with this. And there's my own family. My own little children I'm trying to raise. Daddy, and their whole world's falling apart. Or my wife, Ma, can we talk for a minute? And this, and then, you know, I don't like this, Dad, and oh, well, man, leave me alone! <laughs> sure I can feel that way. My gosh! And, and I'm thinking, a few weeks ago, we had to, we, uh, we were meeting. I was meeting with a small group to answer some questions, and and uh, I tried to, you know, I planned it a month ahead of time. Tried to uh, get them to meet early if they could. It was on a Saturday that they wanted to meet, and when I have to share three times a weekend, it takes an unbelievable amount out of me. And you know, by the third time, I usually I'm losing my voice. By then, it it just takes saps me. It just takes so much out of me. So. I wanted to make sure I was rested because there was a lot at stake. And, uh, well, the meeting, I assumed, and this happened, went really late. So I got home really late. I got to bed about midnight or 12.30, and I get up pretty early Sunday morning to get ready. And I just lay in bed thinking, Lord, okay, listen, right now, I need your grace. Hebrews 4 says this. Since we do not have, therefore, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness that we might find grace to help and mercy in our time of need. Christian, you've got to learn to tap into the grace of God. It is the secret power of God. I just laid there in my bed and said, Lord, there's nothing I can do. It's totally out of my control. You know naturally what can happen to me. You know my physical limitations, my emotional limitations, and my throat limitations. I just commit it to you. Give me strength. You know, I was stunned. Next Sunday, that morning, I got up, and I actually got through both services, and my voice didn't even weaken. And last Sunday it weakened. I was still trusting God's grace. He just, you know, sometimes He blesses just a little extra. He just shows you His grace. Or the other night, for example, tapping into God's grace. My children are going through a, a real difficult screening process right now for their black belts. Okay, two of my children. And, and it's really, really, really rough. And uh, th- so, 
I took all the kids. We went over to Minnetonka. It was done in Minnetonka. I took the whole family. Sib Kathy. She had some alone time at home. I took the kids. And Celeste and Mike and I, we sat in the van because parents can't come in and watch any of this. So we ordered a pizza and we're eating pizza. We're having a good time. They're reading books. They're coloring. They're drawing. I'm reading a book. And then it gets all done. And my kids come out. And we're starting to drive out. And my children begin to tell me a few things that happened. And um, in, in my flesh... And I want to go through the roof. In fact, I almost put the car, you know, in reverse, backed up, rammed it into park, walked in, and had some real major words. So I'm thinking, that'd be a terrible testimony. That'd be a terrible example. This is not so. So I knew. Okay, the first thing you do is shut your mouth. So I just, I just listened. I just kept it shut. Just kept it shut. And then I began to say, Lord. I need your grace. My children need comfort. They need encouragement. And I'm madder than they are. I'm more frustrated than they are. You can hurt me. See, I'm, I'm used to dealing with pain and hardship. What was your kids? Oh, man. It hurts in a whole different place. In a whole deeper level. So, no sooner we get on the highway and I'm comforting. Well, I'm trying to comfort. Then I get a speeding ticket. $70 speeding ticket. Now, this did not make my night from a human perspective, okay? <laughs> Especially when it was already going to be just a little bit tight, this, you know, as I'm working through my budget, some unexpected things come up. Oh, oh, 70 bucks. Sure, officer. Yeah, have a wonderful night. Thank you. And I'm sitting there and thinking, shut your mouth. Just keep your mouth shut. Driving home, and I'm going over verses. And says, Lord, help me. I just need help. I, like a little kid, I'm just calling out right now, help. My emotions are so strong right now. The thoughts flooding my brain that want to come out this mouth are so strong. Lord, give me your grace. I get home, and uh, I went downstairs. And the kids sit up and share with mom. Kathy comes down, tears in her eyes. She goes, Mark, talk to me. I said, honey, you know right now, I just, I can't talk. Just gotta, we gotta, we gotta trust God. We gotta trust God. Stay tuned. I'm gonna, we're gonna seek the Lord on this tomorrow morning. I'll, Lord willing, have some answers. So I laid awake, my bed that night, just musing, pondering God's word, pondering his. Next morning, got up, got the whole family together, we met in the living room, and had a wonderful time sharing on the joy of unjust suffering. Not, not my ticket. I'm not talking about my ticket. I deserve that. Okay. Oh, and it was really bonding, and it was really encouraging. If it hadn't been for the God's grace, I mean this truly, I probably would have taken the contract and ripped it up with a big smile on my face, said, this is what I think of you, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Who knows what I would have done? We've got to learn to tap God's grace for living, because all of us are getting into situations, and if you don't learn to tap God's grace, you know what you'll think? I'm too busy. Of course I'm too busy. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm worn out. And often, that's not the case. Just a few more thoughts. All right, I just read this, what I wrote. God will give you the grace you need to handle life and its demands upon you. Whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual strength, His grace gives us the strength to triumph in our spirit in any situation. When we are worn down, God's grace can lift us up and re-energize us for the task before us. When we conquer in our attitude, we really conquer. Um, 
Let's see. One last story. Today, you know, anybody have a dustbuster? How many of you have a little dustbuster? You have a dustbuster? My kids like the dustbuster. They think the dustbuster could be used for everything, right? <laughs> Dustbusters aren't very strong, but they use them for all kinds of things. Rabbit poop, fuzz, whatever, you know? Well, my, my youngest daughter, she likes to use the dustbuster, but she doesn't quite know how to snap it back in so that it recharges the next time you want to use it. Many Christians are the same way. We go and go and go, we give and give and give, but we're not plugged in. And the next time we go to use what we thought was there, it isn't there. You need to learn to tap in to the limitless resources of God's grace. God's grace is our resources. There's a whole series on the grace of God you can get. I can't go into any more tonight. But I wish we could have spent the whole night on this. I felt we needed to go over some of these miscellaneous things. Really go over these verses that I gave you tonight on the grace of God. Alright? Yes, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 12, 10. Hebrews 4, 14. And 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10. You know, I've been really encouraged and really touched by your attendance to this new community meeting and to this seminar. And I really appreciate it. And I trust God used this in your life. I'm sorry if it wasn't all that you thought it might be. I hope in some way it meets some needs in your life. Let's bow our heads and thank the Lord for our time. Lord, we thank you so much that your grace is real in our lives, that no matter what situations each of us may face in our life, there's more than enough grace to handle it. Whether it's a difficult relationship, whether it's a burden put on us at work that we don't feel adequate to handle, you've made us adequate and you can give us supernatural strength to cope. Whether it's unexpected circumstances that come into our life, whether it's just normal life, parenting and being a spouse and trying to be an advisor and philosopher and teacher to our children, whatever it might be, Lord, you have the grace there for us that's more than enough to energize us and give us success. Help us to tap it in Jesus' name. Amen.